0: Hey, what's up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. As usual, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. Today's episode of the podcast is another in the Control Room series, where I bring my friend Ryan on to talk about all things Magic the Gathering. So, without further ado, I'd like to reintroduce Ryan to the show. Hey, Ryan, how's it going this fine day?
1: Well, I finally got around to uh, spiffing up my apartment today, and uh, part of that included uh, doing something about all these random stacks of magic cards that are floating around all over the place and consolidating them all together so I could fit them back into boxes, uh, which I've kind of delayed doing that for a while. But I must say my uh, coffee table in my living room looks a little bit better after doing that.
0: All right, all right. It's always good to to keep organized. I really could not do any of my brewing without my long boxes of cards, which are obviously sorted by Wooburg orders. So that at least, if I I can't always find exactly what I'm looking for, I can at least know which pile to start looking in.
1: I still have stacks of cards sitting here on my desk, however. So Mm -hmm. at some point, I'm going to have to figure out where to put those ones.
0: Yeah, but obviously not quite yet, because we have another great episode for y'all to listen to today. So a couple weeks ago, Ryan and I did a Uncommon Cards that Pack a Punch, and we talked about 10 cards that Ryan pulled from his collection from the entire history of Magic, or at least his entire collection, and effectively try to look at 10 cards specifically that we believe either should have been rares, or pack an unusually good punch for being an uncommon in the rarity slot in booster packs. So, without further ado, I'd like to introduce part 2 of this episode series, except that I instead pulled 10 cards from my collection, for tonight's episode to mix things up a little. And just as a caveat, obviously I've only been playing Magic of the Gathering for a couple of years, so my collection is much more recent than a lot of Ryan's cards. So you're going to be hearing a lot of things that have been released in the last couple years in this list right here, if not just released in the last few months. So I'm going to start the list off with a 1-4 white card that costs 2 and a white, and it is called Orzov Advocate. And Orzhov Advocate is a human advisor that reads At the beginning of your upkeep, each player may put, and so again, each player may put two plus one plus one counters on a creature they control. If a player does, creatures that player controls can't attack you or a planeswalker you control until your next turn. So again, this is the ultimate political card. You can give someone the means to beat someone else over the face with a creature, giving them two plus one plus one counters, but with the caveat that they can't attack you until your next turn. And again, this card was most recently printed in Commander Legends. I don't remember if it... I think it's been printed before then. Um, but I did have this card utilized on me during the Commander Legends uh, sealed event that I did on the Magic with Zuby stream a few months ago. And it does work. I mean, it's it, it's definitely a tempting offer to put two plus one plus one counters on a creature you control, especially if you're not interested in attacking the player who controls the Advocist. But again, it's also sort of frustrating to remember the fact that you're not allowed to attack them on your turn. So it's, it's kind of a infuriating trade off in some ways, but fair and a very good political card. So Ryan, I want to hear what your thoughts are on this card.
1: I have seen that card quite a lot, uh, showing up on various recommended pages in EDH rec and also kind of going across it. It's, it works. It's one of those cards that works really well in multiplayer and is not so great if you play it outside of multiplayer format, i.e. most of the other formats besides Commander. It's clearly a card that plays well with the Commander format. Um, and I think in the Commander format, it actually does a pretty good job for what it, uh, for what it does. Um, especially if you're playing a deck that includes the color white that revolves around plus one, plus one counters... So, that could include um, like Obzon, that could include like Selesnia with, um, with uh, some of the proliferate things. You know, any of those, it's a good card for that
0: strategy. Mm-hmm. And the important thing to note here is the fact it says each player. So, actually, you can even put two counters on your own creatures. And, obviously, you're not going to attack yourself, so you can get a whole lot of value yourself off the advocist, and you won't have to worry about that creature being able to attack you should someone uh, steal, steal your, your creature <laughs> or something. And you know, on Homeward Path, well, you don't have to worry about it attacking you, although, typically, if someone's stealing your creatures, like what happened earlier, um, you won't get it back. <laughs> so, um, for, for yeah. one reason or another. so. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's not really as big a deal for you as for your opponents, but yeah, you're right, Ryan. You could definitely put some counters on your own creatures and uh, be able to get some value out of that, plus the ability to sort of propaganda your opponents.
1: There aren't that many cards in, in, that are just mono-white that deal with plus one, plus one counters. I mean, there's a lot more in green if you
0: include green as a color identity, but it's a little bit less common in a white card. All right, so I'm going to be moving on to the first of two black cards on this list, but I will get to the other one later. And I decided to choose from Throne of Eldraine, Revenge of Ravens. Uh-oh. Revenge of Ravens is an enchantment for three and a black, and I have used this in a deck or two in the past. And it reads, whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, that creature's controller loses one life and you gain one life. So again, this is kind of the black version, or this is the black version of propaganda, effectively, that you your opponents don't have to pay mana per se to uh, be able to attack you, but every time they attack you with a creature, um, or or a planeswalker you control, that player will lose a life and you will gain a life. So in a way, it has two two functions. One, you can use it sort of as a life gain, life loss uh, way, but it, but technically it's better as a as a deterrent piece. Is the fact that you're taxing your opponents for being able to attack you. So in our like for instance in our meta where we do pretty much exclusively combat, this card is absolutely bonkers in a lot of ways because we like to attack with creatures quite often. So th- this would definitely be a serious deterrent, maybe not as much in non-combat-focused decks, but again, it's one of those cards where in the majority of games, it's probably going to do something for you. And, and even if it doesn't do something for you as far as sapping someone for one, then you gain a life, the fact that you can use it potentially is deterrent. I think is enough of a political tool that it should see some play, even if it's not necessarily the most optimal card in any build.
1: So uh, what, what this uh, card reminds me of, and it's very similar to another card, which is often included in decks, that kind of like, you damage me, I damage you kind of kind of strategy. Sort of like a black, like, I will punish anything that hits me strategy. Uh, is the card Marchesa's Decree, which also happens to be an uncommon card as well. So part of the uncommonly good cards. Uh, Marchesa's Decree happens to also be a Monarch card, though, too. But it has that same kind of effect where a person hits you with something... Uh, they lose life, you know. So a person takes... Uh, dam- and th- there's a lot of black cards that have done that over Magic's history. Yes, In fact, there's that Blood Reckoning from, uh... is
0: another version of this uh, mm-hmm. effect. It's also an uncommon.
1: Yeah, um, the card, the archetypal example I'm thinking of, I can't remember the card's name, but anytime a creature attacks you, that creature is destroyed. Um, it's from Urza, the Urza block. Yeah, like, uh, on the list. Uh, No Mercy. Yeah. No Mercy, yes. That's like the the original well one of the original examples of this type of card where something happens that's bad to you and you exact some kind of toll on the other person so it's like taxing the person for whacking you and that's kind of nice in like a, a group huggy kind of deck it's also good in a marchesa deck because uh, you know queen marchesa likes to um hurt people and send assassins after people and hold on to the monarch and crazy political things actually
0: she can't hold on to them i actually no. you you can only have since i do have a queen marchesa deck of my own you actually only get the assassin tokens when you are not the monarch so the the concept is that you're going to try to be able to gain it back but yes when you are trying to protect the monarch obviously this is going to be marchesa's best friend yeah
1: and unlike marchesa's decree it doesn't cost four dollars a pop
0: yeah, th- th- this card is <laughs> like still 25 cents or something like that, so it's still very affordable. Yeah. All but right. I yeah, I, they- I think
1: oh. that these cards are very useful for for that kind of strategy.
0: Sure. Moving on to number 3, we have a blue card from the first set that I started playing with, and if you've been listening to the podcast long enough, you know that that is War of the Spark. And this is a card that I pretty much run in all my blue decks because it just has it just oozes value in so many ways. And that card is an instant for one in a blue called Lazatep Plating. Lazatep Plating reads, amass one. So you put a plus one, plus one counter on an army, black zombie army control. And if you don't control one, create a zero, zero black zombie army creature token first. And then you and your permanents you control gain hex proof until end of turn. So obviously you're giving all your stuff hex proof. Not just your creatures, but all permanents you control. This includes your lands, enchantments, artifacts, everything. They all get hexproof, and then even even for starters, there you get a one-one body. This card is never a bad thing to have in your hand. You're able to have two mana ups. You're able to bluff a counter spell if that's uh, something that might be good in that particular juncture. And just the fact that you can get so much value off of this card, it, it it's a it's a great card, and I, I think people sleep on this one a lot.
1: Yeah, uh, lasertape plating reminds me a little bit of that card that features
0: the artwork of a Johnny on it, uh, which I oh, think uh, also gives a crap. Yes, uh, I, I was just thinking about that one. I uh, heroic intervention, yeah, heroic intervention. It reminds me of that, except heroic intervention is stupidly expensive. Well, uh, it was reprinted in in uh, either the last course, I think, in the last core set. So mm. it's it's down to four or five bucks now, and but the the. The caveat with Heroic Intervention, though, is that it does give your, all your creatures indestructible, which is a big thing. Yeah,
1: that that indestructibility in, in many cases can be highly useful for board white protection. But, you know, giving everything hexproof is handy if if someone is targeting one specific creature, and then it's just insurance at that point for, for your other creatures as well.
0: Sure, um, and a, a, as well as your permanence. Oh, yes, permanence, I forgot.
1: Yeah, and so that... Basically means that you you're you have that added insurance on that. Um, you have the ability to fizzle something that's being directed your way, some form of removal or whatnot, and uh, you you give everything hex proof so they also can't be targeted by opposing abilities as well. Mm-hmm. In case someone wants to, I don't know, like sack a mog fanatic and take out your mana dork or something. <laughs> <laughs> only yeah. you would say that, Ryan. Oh yeah, only I would do something that nefarious. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, um, L- Lazatep plating, I am never sad to see it in my hand whenever I'm playing a deck with blue. <clears throat> yep. All right. Moving on to red. Again, we are not going to leave War of the Spark just yet. I have a red card that has also served me quite well more, uh, more than a few times since I started playing is Commander. Goblin
1: Snowman.
0: Sure, it is. I-, I know you want to talk about that more. Actually, we already did talk about that on one Godwin earlier. <laughs> anyway this it's car- better than
1: you think everybody i
0: i i Trust know we- it's a
1: new meta for commander it's, it's,
0: <laughs> gonna, it's coming it's coming <laughs> yeah the so, snowman meta so, so you're gonna replace the old drazi winter it's now gonna be the goblin snowman winter yes book it for winter. book it for winter 2022 yes. it's happening um it's anyway happening. anyway so this card for red is bolt bend and Bolt Bend is an instant for three and a red, and reads the spell costs three less to cast if you control a creature with power four or greater. And you can change the target of a target spell or ability with a single target. So effectively, this is a card that was really, really good um, up until Deflecting Swat came out last year, with obviously that free spell, which does the exact same thing if you control your commander. However... I still think this is a really good card that should go in a lot of decks, especially ones where you're looking to try to push through some damage or you just happen to have a very large creature. A lot of commanders do have four power or greater, and the fact that you can then uh, redirect something in red for one mana... At instant speed is a really good ability, so you can utilize this defensively, you can utilize this offensively, not as much though. I mean, mostly I would think it's a defensive card to try to be able to protect one of your creatures, your commander, or something on your side of the board. And again, it's not going to completely re uh redirect something like uh Narset's Reversal, for instance. You're, you're not going to be able to completely block it, but again, you're playing red, you're trying to do the deflecting SWAT type redirect. So I mean I honestly if you're able if you have enough creatures or have a creature with power 4 or greater in here this is an absolute must include I think in a in, in a lot of red decks just to have something to something up your sleeve to utilize should someone try to blow up something important on your board.
1: Yeah, and just because Deflecting Swat exists doesn't mean Bolt Bend is isn't good. Um uh, Deflecting Swat is is only one card and also it outclasses a whole host of other cards that already existed way before deflecting SWAT existed. There's another four drop that also, uh, that does the old switcheroo on targets. I can't remember that one features a giant on it. That's also deflecting some kind of lightning bolt. Uh, don't remember if that was from Lorwyn or what block that one actually came from. But, um, and then of course there's also the classic, uh, reverberation, reverberation strategy, yep which isn't really a change the target of but more like i'm gonna copy that and and lob it also back to you kind of kind of strategy
0: yeah i but, i actually do remember right in in the before times the last games that i did play at guardian games on commander knight i actually did win a the last game i played there using reverberation to copy someone's narset's reversal to copy Speltwine. so yeah and, and then I was able to cast a Rise of the Dark Realms out of uh, an opponent's graveyard and proceeded to basically batter everyone's faces in, or at least mill two. Somehow I milled two of them out, and then uh, the other player ended up not being able to to beat me on on that turn. So I was able to beat them. So I, I, I effectively milled them all out, or something. I, it, it was really weird, but yeah, th- this sort of a this sort of card is really really good because again. The fact that you can have one red mana up and utilize it if you ha- if you meet the requirements, which again aren't all that punitive, uh, is just such a, a blowout effect. It, it's definitely an underrated card, and I think more people should be looking to play this in red, especially since Deflecting Swat is currently $20 or more.
1: Yeah, it, it t- Deflecting Swat and the other one, which is the free counterspell thing, is is kind of up to a ridiculous price point right now, so it's I don't think it's really worth it.
0: No, no. It's a good card, yes, but again, it's not the best. So, you want to be careful with something like that. Anyway, um, moving on to the green card. And the green card I have selected today is Grim Flowering. Grim Flowering is a sorcery for five and a green, and it reads, draw a card for each creature card in your graveyard. Now, this is not always the best in a lot of decks. There are easier ways to be able to draw a bunch of cards in green nowadays, such as Return of the Wild Speaker, um, any of the any of the enchantments that allow you to sacrifice creatures like Greater Good, things like that. But if you do run a graveyard heavy deck, looking at you, Marin of Clan Neltoth, for instance, draw uh-huh. a, uh Golgari Lichlord anything where you're running uh, especially golgari colors and dredging stuff out of your graveyard or obviously maybe not your maybe you're not using dredge itself like dakmor salvage dredge but you're pulling a lot you're doing a lot of recursion out of your graveyard and if, if, if you're able to self mill or something grim flowering even if you can especially if you can drop this like turn 5 or 6 somehow um, if you have 10 or more creature cards in your graveyard this can be an absolute blowout the fact you're able to draw this many cards guaranteed by having a graveyard presence is is really good. Again, the the problem with it is if, in, in, in most cases, six mana is going to be a lot for two or three cards, especially even in green. There are definitely better abilities. Harmonize is going to be better in, in, in the vast majority of situations unless you're building around the graveyard synergies. But if you are, I think this card definitely should see more play. <coughs>
1: Yeah, I mean I also think Harmonize is kinda of boring though too. <laughs> it's it's kind of just like a direct draw effect for, for green. Not saying it's bad, just saying that there are a lot of other draw effects that I would rather see played in many ways, you know?
0: Yeah, and and, and that's why uh Return of the Wild Speaker has been a real good card as of late, because it's available for five mana at instant speed and you're able to draw cards based on the power of a creature that you have on the battlefield. So again, it does take some setup. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say Harmonize is bad. I'm never going to say a card is bad, but uh, again, in in a lot of games that I've seen, Return of the Wild Speaker has done more work uh, regularly than Harmonize has. And Grim Flowering in like, like in the game I just played before we started recording this podcast, one of my opponents had uh, 10 to 15 creatures in his graveyard. Again, he couldn't get enough mana to be able to cast them, but if he had been able to Grim Flowering all of a sudden you're, you're talking about an entirely new game right there. So the, this is the kind of card where if you're, especially if you're in mono green, um, if you have the right conditions or you're in a really grindy board state, this could definitely be something uh, something useful, although it's going to be an empty card in a lot of other situations. So it's, it's, it's one of those cards that I really enjoy for being a high-risk, high-reward play. It's sometimes going to be an absolute crap in your hand, but other times it's going to be brilliant. Yep. I agree. All right. Moving on to artifacts. So colorless. And the, one of the two artifacts I chose today is Mask of Memory. Again, this is a card that I've utilized uh, quite a few times, and especially my Voltron decks. It was mostly recently reprinted in Commander Legends. Mask of Memory is a two-cost equipment artifact. It reads, whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you may draw two cards. If you do, discard a card. It has an equipped cost of one. So again, this is one of those ways where people still seem to complain that Mono-White and Boros don't have card draw. Well, Mask of Memory at least takes care of part of that. If you can get your creature through, you can then loot effectively and get an additional card out of it. So the fact you're able to do that turn after turn is a really good ability for, you know, for a very very cheap card. Mask of Memory isn't more than 25 cents nowadays and works really well in Voltron decks that don't have card draw staple to them. So 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 again Ryan, you have your Wileth deck which does allow you to draw cards on attack mm-hmm. triggers. So you could definitely get a lot of value out of Mask of Memory just by being able to add an additional two cards every time Wileth hits, especially since it's combat damage and Wileth has trample. However, yeah. there are there there are a lot of other situations where, you know, you could even just put this on a I, I don't care Lana War Elves. On turn three, and if someone is open, you can swing and immediately get two cards and discard one. So the fact is, this card is well-costed, has a very low equip cost, and gives you a really good ability. Because again, discarding that one card is probably not going to be a terrible downside. You do that a lot in red already. So the ability to have uh, recurrable, effectively uh, looting, plus one additional card draw is a really, really good ability to have, especially at this mana cost and Financial cost.
1: Yeah, and there's another card like that that I also have played called uh, Mask of Riddles, which is from uh, the Alara block, and it's very similar to Mask of Memory, except it also gives the equipped creature fear, and it says whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. It's got an equipped cost of two, and it costs um, a one blue and one black, so it's in demure color. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a color-based artifact equipment so it's a little different there and then it's color based and that's a bit of a limitation but um it's a little different in that it's just a it's just a card draw effect instead of a loot kind of based effect mm-hmm. but it has the same kind of idea and that it's a that it's an equipment that uh gives you that um sort of advantage whenever you make uh contact with a player um uh, in in combat and it which helps is really you do helpful. that too Yeah, and because it gives you fear, which, you know, fear is actually, uh, well, it's not really seen a whole lot anymore, but it's actually a decent form of evasion as long as you're not playing against black creatures or artifact creatures or whatever.
0: So to explain to listeners who may not be familiar with the fear mechanic, fear was a mechanic where a creature cannot be blocked except by black creatures and or artifact creatures. So anything of the other four colors cannot block your creature. So effectively, it's a good way to get evasion, and then you have curiosity tacked onto it. Effectively,
1: yeah, Mask of Riddles has never been reprinted. Actually, from uh, Alara, a Reborn, uh, which was the uh, third set in the Alara block, mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, still really good, and uh, it's still really cheap. Yeah, it, I, it's I, very cheap. If you are running a deck that includes Demir, like say Soul Tie. Or you're running, you know, let's say Rogue Tribal, which, you know, would probably benefit from a Mask of Riddles. Um, especially considering that the dominant colors for that tend to be in Demir colors.
0: Especially with Anawan, um, the Rune Thief, having um, come out in the Zendikar Rising set. To and and decks. also
1: uh, Yoriko
0: and yep, other cards. Yoriko is going to have that. that. Um, I, I play this card some in my Demira deck as well.
1: Yeah. Mask of Memory is, is almost like a second version of Mask of Riddles, except it also has that loot effect, so it has the discard a card effect, which means it lets you stock up your graveyard, which can also be helpful in, in when it comes to
0: like uh, getting value out of your graveyard, because it helps build that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily rely on it to fill up your graveyard, but I... I definitely see your point there that you could at least utilize it to throw something you want to have in your graveyard, in your graveyard. So something like, uh, filth, uh, wonder, anger, brawn, or, uh, glory, which are a cycle of cards that want to be in your graveyard Or, or, or even something like Genesis as well, which wants to be in your graveyard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, and there's, there's other items too that, that have, have those kinds of similar effects. But, um, these are the only two that are really, these two masks coincidentally enough are the only two that really come to mind at the moment when it comes to, comes to that. But, uh, I, I think both of these are really worth it if you're playing that style of deck where you are, uh, you are going to be triggering this with cards that have evasion and you're going to be want to be doing that, you know?
0: Yeah. So, so mask of memory is nice in the fact you can play it in any color combination, so so again, you can play this in your mono-red, mono-white, and or Boros decks. You can play this and immediately get a little bit of that card advantage back. Yep. Anyway, moving on to number six. Actually, number seven here, excuse me. And number seven is the only multicolored card that I pulled from my box here today. Uh-oh. And it is in the guild colors of my original guild, which is Golgari. And this is a card I played with a lot back when I was first learning how to play at my local game store. And this card is a 1-1 Elf Assassin called Aukran Assassin. costs one black and a green. And ochrin Assassin has death touch. And also the very interesting caveat, all creatures able to block Aukran Assassin do so. So the fact that you're able to put this on the battlefield, not only does it have Death Touch on a 1-1 body, but the fact is, is you can all of a sudden swing it at one of your opponents and all of their creatures have to attack. And the way the Death Touch works is that as long as you're able to do one damage to an opposing creature utilizing something with Death Touch, that other creature, unless it has Indestructible, will die. So the fact is, is all of their creatures, let's say they have three creatures, they will have to attack, or sorry, sorry they will have to block your Aukran Assassin, ultimately you as the attacker then in the combat damage phase get to choose which one of the creatures gets hit by Aukran Assassin. Effectively, you're kind of doing a one-for-one removal spell on a body. So again, there may be better ways to remove creatures that are instant sorceries, enchantments, but the uh, but as far as having it on a body, something you can recur. This is the kind of card that I would think Muldroth of the Gravetide would really love, as well as the the Marin of Clan Neltoth, Gerard, Golgari, Lichlord. A lot of Golgari decks just love this sort of thing because you're able to attack with the Ochre Assassin, clear out an extremely important blocker or something that's really, really bothering you on an opponent's board, and then you're just able to bring it back the next turn, rinse, repeat, do the same thing. So the fact, and you're not going to really be able to do that with, uh, let's say, murder or any sort of instant or sorcery that's going to kill a creature. So the fact that you can recur this on a creature that can also be a good blocker, even at one one, the fact it has the death touch really makes it an underrated card. Maybe not necessarily a rare, but I really do think it packs a punch in um, on offense and on defense.
1: Yeah, and I think this again is. Uh... I, I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but this has the classic combo of both a Lure effect, which, you know, is, it, Lure is the original card that kind of says, hey, all creatures must block this thing if able. Um, and then, of course, Death Touch. It, both of those two abilities synergize incredibly well because it effectively creates, like, a suicide engine, like a creature that you can throw up against an opponent and it can act as a, like... Very, very asymmetrical board wipe, effectively, for your opponent's creatures if they're uh, creatures that are capable of blocking. Um, and it, that's it can be pretty brutal, especially if you stack it on a creature that it has both of those abilities and also has something like indestructible, in which case you have a repeatable uh, thing that has to be blocked all the time and destroys everything that blocks it. And you could even slap trample on that thing. So next thing you know, you just you just have some kind of crazy engine that's capable of just pretty much wiping out all resistance it comes into, and, and your opponents can't do much about it unless they really remove that creature or that enchantment or whatever that's granting it those 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 sets of abilities. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of like the reach death touch combo, where like you know it's um, your it, Thornwald uh, Archer, for instance. Yeah, like Thornwheeled Archer. Um, that there's yeah, there's certain abilities that synergize really well with Death Touch because they allow you to do things that you know normally would be a little bit dicey, like you know blocking a creature or attacking with something that might be underpowered and making that very very good. Um, you know, in which case, you know, with Thornwheeled Archer, having reach in Death Touch means that you have the potential to um, basically take out and kill any opposing flyer. Yeah, and you know, with the the lure death touch, you have the ability to take out any kind of opposing blockers you might you might find in your way.
0: Doesn't matter if it has flying or not, because you're doing the attacking.
1: Yep, and so both of these are are forms of deterrence and also like forms of of aggression that that immediately make that creature uh, you know like a big target, but at the same time it, it gets the job done, and you can. Um, and those abilities are really good when they're either hard bound onto a creature like that or when you um, stick them on there. as I and think it's a gift of the deity, I believe, that puts both a lure effect and a death touch on a creature with an aura. It's very good. I think it's also in Golgari colors, come think of it. So going back to your your comments about Golgari, um, Golgari is real good with the death touch tribal, mm-hmm. you put it that way. So this, yeah. it's right in that wheelhouse.
0: Yep, I I know that all too well. My first real commando commander, excuse me. First real commander was Gliss of the Trader. And yeah. she has the extremely important and extremely annoying for your opponents first strike death touch combo going on. Now, oh, his so, yes. first strike death touch is also an annoying ability that synergizes with it. So so yeah, so and Assassin really works in that deck because even if you're not necessarily running death touch tribal, the ability to then be able to get this out clear out a blocker is never a bad thing. And anyway, there's also an interesting piece of tech that works with Aukar and Assassin. We just spoke about Mask of Memory, but since you want Aukra and Assassin to get blocked, there is a artifact equipment called Infiltration Lens that I don't run I actually do run in my colorless deck. And it is a one cost equipment artifact, equip cost one, and whenever a equipped creature becomes blocked by a creature, which will happen with Acar Assassin, you may draw two cards. So all of a sudden, you just slap this onto your Ocarina Assassin, and all of a sudden, you're not only going to be able to kill something, but you're going to be able to two-for-one your opponents effectively by drawing two cards. Your creature is going to die, but you get two additional cards out of it, and you kill an opponent's creature. That is a lot uh, of value.
1: It's a bit like slapping a skull clamp onto that creature before you throw it at an opponent.
0: Yeah, effectively. But you're also able to kill something your opponent has, whereas skull clamp you can't. Yeah, that is true. Because you can't do that at instant speed. No, you can't unless you have a uh, uh, crap. You're not going to be able to <laughs> do Sigarda's Aid on on Cigar this one because 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 you, unless you're running Albzahn, uh, you're not going to be able to to run White in this sort of deck.
1: Yeah, that is true. But, yeah, you know, if you do happen to run an
0: on, I guess that's always a potentiality. <laughs> yep, that, could that, that is. But at that point, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure if Aukran Assassin is the best in, in that sort of deck. You're right. Seem, it goes well um, in reanimator a- decks.
1: Yeah, Aukran Assassin might go well with the sort of the Finn the Fangbearer kind of uh, uh, thing with him in the 99, you know. Yeah. It's just another component in like a Death Touch tribal kind of build.
0: Yeah, just the Finn is mono green, so you're going to have to have another commander to add black.
1: Yeah, you're not going to want to run Finn in, in a mono mono green in that circumstance. You're going to run him in the 99 and then
0: run another light like, commander. Um, sure, None of them really come to mind
1: at the moment, but that's what you'd want to do.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. Anyway, moving on again to card number eight. And a, this is another one that I do play quite often, especially in my mono blue deck. And that card is Fog Bank. Fog Bank is a 0-2 wall, costs one to blue, and it has defender and flying. And the interesting text here of prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to and dealt by Fog Bank, effectively a blocker that will drive your opponents crazy. Yeah,
1: it's basically imagine if fog was a creature. You get with fog flying,
0: bank. with flying. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I mean that makes it a lot like fog in that like
0: good luck getting through that thing unless you have protection from creatures or, or a way to be able to remove fog bank. But really what I find good about fog bank is the fact that it forces your opponent to utilize a good piece of removal, a key removal in a lot of cases to get rid of it, which all of a sudden means that your other creatures may be spared uh, a kill spell.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an annoying creature that can effectively, uh, they get, uh, um, that puts up a speed bump, for an opposing player you know especially if you and get it down early it's sufficiently costed for that role it's kind of reminds me a little bit of uh of uh, um uh that one card that has the ridiculously high toughness, but it's uh it's got the fade counters on it i think or oh, oh I um uh, that yeah one I... ice wall thing oh oh yeah yeah that one these like these these are really good when you play them. You want to hold off an aggro opponent, and you know if someone's playing raw aggro with not a lot of removal in it, they can get kind of tripped up by something like that. You know.
0: Yes, yeah, so you're saying that this is spicy tech for defeating Ryan
1: One Hundred and One. I mean, yeah, if you want to play it against one of my decks, yeah, uh, it won't help you a whole lot against the Torberant deck. That's for sure. Or anything no, that does direct but... damage. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it would help. Against the Voltron deck, that's yeah. that's where that unless unless I
0: give it protection from creatures. or Yeah, something and like here's <laughs> a way to be able to get around Fog Bank for those of you who are interested, if the conditions are met. I'm gonna I'm talking about another equipment artifact that has also done a lot of work for me in my personal in my personal decks, and that card is Trailblazer's Boots, two cost artifact with an equipped cost two, and reads equipped creature has non basic land walk. We're playing EDH. Everyone effectively is utilizing some sort of non-basic land. Your creatures are unblockable, or at least almost, one. You one creature is yeah. unblockable,
1: unless a person is is running a um, a price of progress, like in my Torbrand deck, where I run almost zero non-basic lands in a mono red kind of deck build, which is very, let's say. Uh, it's very uncommon for anyone not to run any utility lands, but in that deck, it has a very specific purpose in running almost all basic lands, and that is to avoid getting whacked by Price of Progress. Um, other than that kind of deck, like I described, uh, it's going to be un- make your creature completely unblockable to pretty much every player <laughs>
0: in the game. It's yeah. it's,
1: it's super land uh, land walk, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh, especially since in, in our in our playgroup we do have the, the whole gamut of awesome lands, obviously not a Gaia's cradle, but we do have the Maze of Ith, Erborg, Cabal Coffers, uh, you know, Skarg the Rage Pits and uh Buried Ruins of the World. E- it, e- even yeah. Command Tower. That right there I, or or just a simple dual land is all that it takes for Trailblazers boots to be able to work.
1: It's very rare you're going to pick up a game with any kind of play group or anyone and someone isn't going to run um, some non-basic lands. It's, yeah. it's pretty rare. Except for a very limited number of cards and specific strategies that revolve around like playing a deck almost entirely of, of basic lands, like in my deck, where that, that is a very powerful card that interacts with that, so there's a reason to run it that way. Aside from that, there are not very many reasons to run all basic lands so you're almost always going to get that thing to proc and you're almost always going to it's effectively makes it unblockable for a lot less than it would cost in many cases to make the creature unblockable rogue's passage you know, or something yeah. like that you access know, in tunnel rogue's- Rogue's Passage, ironically enough, Rogue's Passage. Uh, if someone had that out to make their creature unblockable, it would also make that creature unblockable because it's a non-basic land. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, so it's it's it, that's a little ironic in many
0: ways. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 definitely is, and and this card really does work in just a lot yeah. of decks to be able to push some damage through,
1: especially in the commander format. Um, like outside of the commander format, I don't know. I guess it depends on what you're what you're going for, but in the commander format, people love their non-basic lands, and almost everyone runs them. So that makes it really good.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. I can only think of really one deck where I don't run many... Well, actually, I, I have a couple of decks where I try to run as many basics as possible. So my white-bordered deck that if you listen to what i the, uh, the podcast episode where i talked about what i really enjoyed about the the challenge of building a white bordered deck is you will uh, find only one non-basic land in that entire deck because again non-basic lands were not really all that popular up to ninth edition so um except for one single dual land everything in that in that deck is a basic
1: you're not going to find as many white border core set, you know, reprint cards that in, had non-basic lands in them because a lot of non-basic lands that were, you know, that were printed, a lot of them were never reprinted in, you know, in core sets. They just kind of sat back uh, in their base sets. And there are some really good non-basic lands from the ancient days, like you know, um, uh, all the uh, dual
0: lands. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think furnace of uh, no, not no. Um, it's uh, Volras stronghold. Volras That's stronghold. Yeah, power, powerhouse of a
0: of a non basic. man. It's, it's, it's why it's one hundred fifty dollars now. City of uh, city, of, city brass. of
1: shadows. City of um, city of traders. City of uh, brass. City of brass. But I think that was reprinted in a core set or
0: two. Actually, Sure, sure. But, it probably was reprinted in, in a few of those, but City of Traders is definitely not. But you want to know what this leads into? It's actually perfect that you brought up all these other old amazing dual lands, because I actually have a card that reminds me a lot of City of Brass, and I want to hear your opinion on this one, all right? So um, my last okay. card is at, yeah my last card today is actually something that really kickstarted my interest in doing this week's list. So I bought this for a deck that I didn't actually throw it into, but it's just a very interesting card and I really think it's extremely underrated in a lot of situations. And the it's a uncommon from the new Zendikar Rising set. So this has just been out what 6 months at this point. It is called Lithiform Blight. And it's an enchantment aura for one and a black, and you enchant a land. When Lithoform Blight enters the battlefield, draw a card. An enchanted land loses all land types and abilities and has tap, add colorless, and tap, pay one life, add one mana of any color. And what really got me about this particular land is the fact that you can utilize it both offensively and defensively. So obviously, if you're looking at this in a defensive way... We as Commander players do love our lands like uh, Strip Mine, things like that, to be able to blow up someone's extremely annoying land, uh, Cabal Coffers, Guy's Cradle, uh, and just any of those crazy lands. And Lithiform Blight effectively says, no, 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 you don't have your Guy's Cradle, your Volras Stronghold. You're going to have a City of Brass. And so the fact is you can turn off basically any land utilizing this card. Uh, sure, it's going to be able to tap for a colorless, and your opponents can still tap it to and pay a life to be able to create a one man of any color. But again, the fact that you can turn off, let's say, a maze of ith, utilizing an enchantment is not to be underestimated, and I repeat, is not to be underestimated. Now, again, this is not going to replace your Strip Mine, it's not going to replace Ghost Corridor, any of those lands that blow up other lands, it's not going to replace Rashad and Port, which will tap a land. This will not replace any of those things. However especially in decks that love enchantments like Layla Artful Provocateur, which I do have a deck out of, Um, this card is an absolute powerhouse. Because, again, you're, one, able to shut off an opponent's extremely powerful land and effectively neuter it into the fact it can only make one mana, or, you know, in some cases if they can't necessarily pay the mana or don't want to pay the mana, you effectively made it into a Wastes. But also the fact that you're able to draw a card, so it effectively cantrips. So even if your enchantment gets blown up, let's say, in the next turn cycle, you just basically paid one and a black to draw a card and maybe be able to mess up your one of your opponents for a bit, for a turn. Well, all of a sudden, for two mana, you're getting a card and you're able to mess with one of your opponents. That is actually really good value, especially later in the game where, uh, you know, or, at, okay, maybe not later in the game, but, you know, in the earlier to mid-stages of the game where someone with a guy's cradle, let's say, could start taking over the game, all of a sudden you can turn that off with Lithiform Blight. But actually, where this really comes in and what really got me wondering, got me excited about this card, is what you can do with it offensively. So obviously, this looks like the kind of land where it's going to neuter the land, right? I mean, if, if you have a really good land out there, you're not going to really be able to get much out of this because obviously you want that colored land. You don't want to pay for it. But what if you're running, let's say, a 3-5 to color deck? All of a sudden, if you're getting mana screwed, and you're not able to get the land sources that you need of the right colors to be able to play your, let's Sliver Overlord, Ur-Dragon, things like that, Morph on the Boundless, well, all of a sudden, Lithiform Blight becomes a city of brass for you. All of a sudden, this becomes a very good offensive weapon. And you can use it, pay one life, tap your land to give you one, uh, one mana of any color. And you also draw a card. So not only are you giving yourself mana selection, mana advantage, and the fact that you're able to prevent yourself from getting mana screwed, but you're also getting that cantrip effect. And, and frankly, this even works late in the game if you end up with something like Evolving Wilds or Terramorphic Expanse, typically useless lands that are not going to tap for mana. But all of a sudden, bam, Lithiform Blight's down there. All of a sudden, you're Evolving Wilds, which is typically useless. It's not going to do anything for you late game. All of a sudden, now it's a mana-producing land. And you can now utilize that card instead of trying to crack it, try to get something else. All of a sudden, you can use that Terramorphic Expanse right away if you're really trying to do something that turn and cannot afford to not have another land in play. So... I really like this card in a a lot of ways. It just just seems like the perfect marriage of offensive and defensive capabilities for a really low mana cost has that cantrip ability. And frankly, if people aren't prepared to deal with it, you know, blowing up non-land permanents, blowing up enchantments, things like that, this card could really stick around a while. So no, again, it's not going to replace Strip Mine. It's not going to replace anything like that that's going to unconditionally blow up a land. But in regards to Rashad import, especially, which has been going up in price a ton recently, it's up to about 60 bucks right now, which allows you to pay one and tap it to tap target land. All of a sudden, Lithiform Blight, in a way, basically does the exact same thing, and this card's like 10 cents. I'm not kidding. This card seems to be great. Again, I haven't played with it before, but you um, you know, you know, this is the quintessential card that I just love to play with. Something that may be a little funky, it's super cheap, but it just has all that cheeky kind of value that I love. And at some point, I'm going to give this bad boy a try and just see what happens.
1: Yeah, and I've been trying to find this one card that this thing reminds me of, but I, I haven't been able to locate it. Uh, I'm very good at remembering cards, but very bad at remembering card names. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's a card from from way back in Magic. I can't remember if it was introduced in Alpha or if if it was introduced right around some of the early sets. But basically, it's a a card, uh, a black card, where it says, uh, like it says something like Target land is is now a basic swamp." So it's kind of like that, where it's it basically oh, it's an, the flood a, a effect, champion. effectively.
0: Where you uh, yeah, where you it's, can turn it's uh,
1: like despoil or blight or some other kind yeah, of yeah I that... I know
0: what you're talking about and and yeah so not only can you utilize that to uh, turn on land walk if you have swamp walk again uh, calling all uh, uh, grave titans here or not not, not 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 grave titan um shieldred maybe uh, but, but whatever but yeah if you do have swamp walk that works too it basically.
1: The way it works is it basically could just say neuter target non-basic land that's useful to your opponent. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's it has the effect that of of being effectively a uh, a counter to to non-basic lands, and also you could use it on your own lands and like in these circumstances where you have like I don't know for if for whatever reason you're not running herborg and and you have your cabal coffers out and you need to make another swamp and I guess you could do that too but effectively you know it's kind of of the same school of thought as sinkhole except instead of you know destroying a land like sinkhole it it can makes it into another land type you know but but you know the 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 one that you mentioned also has that additional utility where you get the um you get the 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 fixing inherent in it where you know it converts it to a different type of land
0: yeah, and, and, and it does convert it to a City of Brass. So again, I'm not going to sit here and say it's necessarily the best land for a lot of situations, but if one of your opponents has a very scary land out there, again, not a dual land, but I mean a very sc- legitimately scary land out there, Lithoform Blight can definitely set them back.
1: Yeah, and it, it's, yeah, it's not the same as, as City of Brass, but effectively, if you think about it, it's pretty useful with for what you get. It you might know. as
0: well be at that point.
1: At that point, yeah. And you can also always slap it on an opponent's land to, you know, mess them up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so, so that I, I think that's really what excited me about this when I first looked at it, is the fact that you can use it defensively. But like I said already, the fact that you can utilize it on your own lands as well gives you that flexibility that you might need in the late game. Let's say you're running a whole bunch of cards with multiple mana symbols in their mana cost and of a certain color, all, all of a sudden you may not necessarily have that. Oh wait, if you've already played Lithoform Blight and hasn't been blown up, all of a sudden that planes that you instead need to be a forest to be able to play your overrun effect... All of a sudden, pay one life, you can play Overrun, you can play Crater of Behemoth, you can play Triumph of the Hordes, whatever. That Plains all of a sudden becomes a City of Brass, you drew a card, that gives you that uh, mana selection that you really need late in the game to maybe be able to eke out the, the difference between a, a loss and a victory, potentially.
1: Yeah, and I I think that, that uh, there, there are many cases where you want that color-fixing enough that you want to... Uh, attach it to a land, and being attached to a land means it's a bit safer than attaching it to something like a creature, where sure. you know it might just get wiped out. It's pretty rare that someone blows up a land during a game of Commander, um, unless someone happens to be hold- holding on to Pillage and they really don't like <laughs> you for playing that thing, so they play the the mean part of Pillage on you. But I think that it it's it's um, if you if you need that fixing and you don't mind including an enchantment kind of effect in there, I think it's good for that. And you know, it also, if you're
0: running, uh, I don't know, like uh, an
1: enchantment kind of deck, that can also be helpful as well, just having another one out there on the field.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like I mentioned earlier, my Alayla deck would absolutely love this card because one, you're able to not only hurt your opponents, but two, you're able to trigger Alayla's ability, giving you a fairy token. This also seems really good in that Ganacar- Arcanum Weaver, excuse me, deck uh Mm -hmm. the the mardu enchantments deck where you could eventually utilize this and then throw it away when you need another enchantment utilizing gen's ability so this just works really well in enchantment decks that are running black yeah yeah i agree so that was the the 10 cards uh 10 uncommon cards that pack a punch from my collection part two of this series so again, Ryan, I want to thank you for being on here today. It's been great talking with you, as always, about Magic the Gathering.
1: Yeah, I think I think we've 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 really pulled out a lot of cards that are unconventional, or even if they are cards that people have heard of, uh, ones that maybe don't quite get the spotlight as much as some other cards do. And I think a lot of that can be due to the fact that they've got an uncommon rarity rather than a nice gold little logo on them, which tends or to— Or even a common or even a common, even I mean, good commons for every spike among among the people. Everyone loves a good efficient common, but you know, an uncommon <laughs> is that rarity where where things start getting interesting. It's also that that rarity that, that that some people think is just a midpoint between the rare and the and the common. But in some cases, some of these uh, uncommons are better than
0: than most of the most of the rares in the sets that they're from. <laughs> yeah and that's for sure and and that's why we're here doing this podcast series is we want to tell people about really cool uncommon cards that they maybe haven't heard about or maybe haven't really thought about a use for and to really be able to maybe change their thinking or you just gain an appreciation for different cards or if nothing else just a chance for me to talk about a lot of uncommon cards that i've utilized in my decks personally i mean just out of out of this list right here, I've utilized three, uh, four, five, six. I've used utilized seven of these in my personal deck. So I've gotten a lot of play experience with these, uh, the Advocates, the Lithiform Blight, and the, uh, let's see, what here... Uh, grim flowering i haven't been able to utilize that but that's because i don't necessarily have a golgari grave deck i'm still going to try to build one eventually so i may be able to slip that one in there but yeah the, the fact that i was able to talk about a lot of these cards that i have personally used and found to be really useful is is, is really nice
1: yeah and and i think it it illustrates the different ways that people can use cards that are that are overlooked
0: Yep. So I'm going to bring the show to a close. Again, you can find me on Twitter at, at MTG in Quarantine. You can also find my podcast, the back catalog of this podcast, including all the previous Control Room episodes on Spotify, Applecasts, Casts, and many other fine podcast outlets. So again, Ryan, I want to thank you for being on the show today. And you've been listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day.